Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible class. We're podcasting a Bible class every Wednesday night for those who cannot be with us in person at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ right here in Omaha, Nebraska. We know there are people even in the Omaha area who cannot be with us at that particular time for various reasons. We know also that people across the country and around the world want to be in God's Word. They want to be in a Bible class, but obviously because of their proximity where they live, they cannot be with us in person either. So we are broadcasting a Bible study every Wednesday evening by means of the internet and through these podcasts to help people stay in God's word and dig a little bit deeper and learn a little bit more. We're thankful to be able to do this. Now, if you're in the Omaha area, we encourage you to come and be with us in person, check us out, study God's word with us in person, worship God with us and grow spiritually with us. Faith comes by hearing the word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. We keep emphasizing that. So being in Bible study is really, really important. Now, our Bible classes begin at Sunny Slope and at 9.30 on Sunday mornings, followed by worship at 10.30. Sunday evenings, 6 o'clock, we come back together for another period of worship and Bible study. And then on Wednesday evenings, 6.30 each Wednesday evening, midweek Bible classes. Our church building is located at 3606 North 108th Street, right here in Omaha. 3606 North 108th Street. And We encourage you also to share these studies with everybody you can through Facebook friends, text messages, or other technological means with everybody you can. You may may help somebody else grow in their faith and come closer to God and maybe even help them get to heaven. What a great blessing for them and for you. And tell everybody about our website, churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com. Now, it's free to access it, and you can click on the, e- uh, on the uh, podcast button and sign up for our podcasting. And that's free as well, always will be free. And then you will receive every day a great deal of Bible study material for free. It'll go automatically to your smart device, whether that's your phone or computer or whatever device you choose. So take advantage of all these opportunities to be in God's word and to grow in your faith and thereby grow spiritually. We're going to get back into our study from the book of John, actually the gospel account according to John. And as we said, by way of introducing this particular study some weeks ago, that John is kind of a standalone, or maybe we might say a unique gospel account from the other three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're referred to as synoptic gospels, and so they're very similar as to the material that they cover. Now, they'll give different details in some places, you know, and, and other details in other places, but they're, they're very similar, cover a lot of the same ground. John takes a different approach or a different focus on his gospel account. Now, again, all four of those writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were guided by the Holy Spirit to write what they wrote. So they did not just make it up on their own. They did not just go off in their own directions, but they were guided by the Holy Spirit to write God's very word. And that's the meaning of 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, where the apostle Paul wrote, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So, but John, he, he focus on, focuses on different details. And he, as we saw, going back to the very first chapter, the first several verses, 
he focuses in upon Jesus's deity immediately and talks about how he is eternal, as eternal as is God the Father and God the, and God the, and God the Holy Spirit, and that he was right there at the creation, taking part in the creation. He was, in fact, a number of verses in the New Testament indicate, but not just indicate, they state forthrightly that Jesus was there creating everything that we see. Now, that comes back to, you know, when you look at Genesis 1 and verse 1, where it says, God created the heavens and the earth. It comes back to, you know, in these other verses uh, stating that Jesus was there and that everything that was made was made through him and for him. And we looked at a number of texts of Scripture that talk about that and, did, and, and again, state it very directly. So it comes back to the nature of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but one God. So we are going to begin now in chapter 3. We looked at the first miracle recorded miracle of Jesus's ministry in, in, in John chapter 2, and uh, where he turned the water into wine. And we see there that his mother, Mary, physical mother, was already uh, exhibiting a great deal of faith in him. And in chapter 3, we pick up where Jesus is confronted by and then instructs very directly a man named Nicodemus. Now, how far along in Jesus's ministry does chapter 3 take place? I'd say it's, going, it, it's been a while. Again, when you go back to Matthew, you're talking about Jesus from birth, Luke from G, Jesus from birth. And again, Mark covers early periods you know, of, Jesus's, uh, of Jesus's ministry. But here in John chapter 3, I think we're already seeing where he's been out there teaching for some time. Now, John, back in chapter, that is John the, the immerser, John, the, the cousin of Jesus, biologically, uh, John, back in chapter 1, has identified him and you know, stated directly, this is the Lamb of God. This is the one for whom I have, been, I have come to prepare his way or the way for him. And so this is the one, the prophesied Messiah, the Savior. And John's very direct. He says, I'm not the one. He is the one. So here in chapter 3, I think we're to understand by nature of what Nicodemus says to Jesus, that Jesus has already been out there for a while teaching the gospel, teaching that he is the Savior, the the Messiah prophesied from Old Testament prophecies. So we pick up with verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now let's note a couple of things about Nicodemus. First, he was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were, I think we would understand, the strictest of the, sect of, of, of the sects of the Jews. And so they were the, the real, I don't know if we would just say diligent, diligent students of God's word, teachers of God's word, but also keepers of God's word. 
they were very, very dedicated to the fundamental understandings of God's Old Testament scriptures. They were rules or, or commandment keepers, very diligent along that line. So again, he would, the Pharisees were of the strictest of all of the sects, S-E-C-T-S, of the, of the Jews. Then notice also that it says he was a ruler of the Jews. When we look at this from other texts of Scripture in the New Testament, I believe we come away understanding that Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin Council. Now, this would have been the highest body of judges, if you would, you know, among the Jewish community or within the Jewish community, and especially in Jerusalem. Probably the closest thing that we could you know, liken the Sanhedrin Council to in Jesus's day among the Jews would be our Supreme Court today. And so these were judges, but they also, they could pass judgment. And sometimes that judgment might be very severe. But they, they were supposed to know the law, the law of Moses, that is, according to the Old Testament scriptures and commandments, and they were to be overseers, to judge if some teacher came along and was teaching something. Uh, they, they could judge and determine whether he was going to be accepted as a teacher of truth or rejected as a teacher of error. And certainly Jesus was under their scrutiny as he went about his public ministry. So notice another point that is brought out about Nicodemus. He came to Jesus by night, by night. Now notice that he confesses in verse 2. In verse 2 he says, we know. Now first he addresses Jesus as rabbi or teacher. We know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, when he says, we know, we leave that open to who is included within that pronoun we as used by Nicodemus there. He's certainly not talking about the whole Sanhedrin council because most of those, most of those Jewish leaders rejected Jesus as the Savior, as the Messiah. They did not accept him as the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah to come. But Jesus already had gathered many followers by this time. And so maybe Nicodemus was referring to all of those who had come to believe in Jesus openly. And he says, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Now, again, the Sanhedrin Council as a whole, no, they could not have been included in that way. There may have been some within the Sanhedrin Council who believed in Jesus. Another one, as, as we'll see later in the book of John, a man named Joseph of Arimathea, he also was a believer in Jesus, and he was also apparently a member of the Sanhedrin Council. And so there would be two, if we're to understand both of those men, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, to have been members of the Sanhedrin Council. Now, so, but I doubt that, that Nicodemus here in John chapter 3 and verse 2 is referring just to himself and Joseph of Arimathea. Now, might there have been some others within that council? Eh, possibly. Possibly. 
But make no mistake, by far, the vast majority of those leaders who sat on that council did not believe in Jesus. And when we think about the Jewish people as a whole, when Jesus came specifically to them to bring the gospel, by far, the vast, vast majority of them rejected Jesus as the Savior. Now, notice again, Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. And later in the scriptures, he is referred to as Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night. Now, that's always held something of a fascination to me as to why he was always identified as Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night. (laughs) I see that as he came under the cover of darkness. He chose by night on purpose and probably mostly because he knew most of his fellow Sanhedrin members did not accept Jesus, did not believe in Jesus as the Savior. And so he came, I, I, I think, now I may be wrong and I can stand corrected, but that would seem to be the logical and a reasonable understanding. He came to Jesus by night as, as kind of a, a, you know, an attempt to come to him under the cover of darkness, where he would not be seen, probably, by any of the council members or by anyone else who might know him and go tell some of the council members. Nicodemus, he went to Jesus. <laughs> so kind of undercover there, if you would. Now, but Nicodemus, he, he, he you know, uh, confesses Jesus. We know that you are a teacher come from God because no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus had the, had the recognition through his reasoning to realize that Jesus truly was not just a man, but he was from God because he was doing miracles and signs and wonders, performing them repeatedly. And Nicodemus came to realize just a man, an imposter could not perform those miracles. Now, Jesus's response is interesting. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Unless one is born again. Now, that confused Nicodemus because the next verse, he responds. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And so Nicodemus, he expresses his confusion. What are you talking about? And he's probably talking about himself first and foremost. He's an older man. He's grown. How can a man, someone who has grown, be born all over again? Well, this is the problem that a whole lot of people had with Jesus's teachings, and to some extent, you know, people still have with his teachings. Jesus was speaking from a spiritual perspective. Nicodemus was reasoning, or we might say listening, (laughs) from a physical perspective. So he understood physical birth, but what Jesus was talking about was a spiritual rebirth, and that did not click in Nicodemus's head. So 
Peter, I'm sorry, Jesus went ahead and he answered him, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Hmm. So Jesus clarifies, he's not talking about a physical birth. He's not talking about a combination of a physical birth and a spiritual birth. He's speaking totally of a spiritual rebirth here. And so that is to clarify for Nicodemus, who had just expressed his confusion, his his non-understanding. What are you talking about? How can a man who has grown be born all over again? And in essence, Jesus was saying, I'm not talking about re-entering a mother's womb. I'm talking about being reborn spiritually, spiritually. And so except a man is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, what is the obvious understanding of being born of water? Through baptism, the waters of baptism. Now, some people would protest because they don't believe baptism is necessary for salvation, and so they have to jump through all kinds of hoops, and they have to invent you know, a whole lot of those hoops to jump through to try to explain away water baptism as being necessary for salvation. But Jesus said in Mark 16, verses 15 and 16, after he had arisen from the tomb, having been crucified, and he was ready to ascend back to heaven, he told the apostles to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Now, there's no question but that he was talking about water baptism there. And so when you look at all of the other conversion accounts, Jesus goes to John, who is baptizing in water, and asks him to baptize him. Now, Obviously not for salvation on the part of Jesus because Jesus was sinless. He is God the Son. But he left an example for us to follow of our need to be baptized, and the reason would be for the remission of our sins, for salvation. As he told the apostles, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. And so, The salvation is placed there in Jesus' instruction after not just believing, but in acting upon one's belief by being baptized into Christ. On Pentecost, when many of the Jews asked Peter and the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? Acts chapter 2 and verse 37, Peter responded quickly by saying, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus sent Ananias to teach Saul of Tarsus what he needed to do to be saved, to be forgiven, to be redeemed, Ananias came to Saul and said, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling in the name of the Lord. In baptism, we understand, we see that that illusion of washing by water. We, we use water all the time to wash ourselves physically. Well, Jesus is talking about a spiritual cleansing here, but using the figure of water as being buried in that, as being covered up, immersed, buried in that water, as the point at which 
the cleansing power of his blood shed on the cross would cleanse us of the guilt of our sins. We would contact that cleansing power as we are buried with him in baptism. And we read the scriptures, buried with him in baptism. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. And it is through baptism, Romans chapter 6 and verse 3, Galatians 3 and verse 27, that we come into Christ. And so Jesus tells Nicodemus, except a man is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And there, there's no question as to what kind of rebirth Jesus is talking about. Nicodemus was thinking physical. Jesus was speaking spiritual, spiritual rebirth. He goes on and then tells Nicodemus, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. Uh, Certainly. Can you track the wind? Can you tell whatever specific point on the map that it began from and what specific point on the map that it ends or goes away? No, but you know it's there. You feel it. You see it rustling through the, through the leaves and the trees. But Jesus says, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you a teacher of the law? Are you a teacher of, I'm sorry, teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If we have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man, who is in heaven. Well, interesting. Jesus is the Son of Man. He came down from heaven. And yet in physical form, he's still there while still fully divine, talking to Nicodemus right in front of him. And Nicodemus is still confused. He's still not really grasping fully what Jesus is talking about, by a, about a spiritual rebirth. It's talking about a transformation from a spiritual perspective. When the Apostle Paul wrote in his Romans letter, in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he, he said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's, and, and, and then when he wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 17, he, he says, everyone who is in Christ has become a new creation. He talks about, in another text, putting off the old man, putting on the new man, again, from a spiritual perspective. And so Jesus is trying to get across to Nicodemus, you have to change spiritually. In in one very succinct word that we use to talk about that transformation is the word repentance. It means a change of mind that includes inherently with the understanding of the word, a change of life. You repent of your sins. That means I'm going to stop it. I'm going to change my life, change my lifestyle. I'm not going to do that anymore. 
I'm going to start living a new life in Christ, a life of faithfulness and dedication to him. So Jesus is, to some extent, he may actually be rebuking Nicodemus to some extent because Nicodemus, as a Pharisee and as a member of the Sanhedrin Council, he was supposed to know the scriptures. He was supposed to know the basic meanings of those Old Testament prophecies about the coming Savior. So in verse 14, Jesus goes on. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now you remember the account where there was sin in the camp of the Israelites in the, in, in, at one point in the wilderness wanderings, and God caused fiery serpents to go among the people, and those who were bitten, many of them died, but God allowed Moses, or instructed Moses, to put one serpent up on a pole, and all who looked upon that serpent up on that pole were healed. Well, that was kind of a figure of what ultimately would take place when Jesus would be nailed to that cross. And as we look upon him through the teachings of Scripture and in our mind's eye of him on that cross, he died to pay the price for our condemnation and sin. He died to pay the price for our eternal life. And so Jesus refers to Moses, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I doubt that Nicodemus understood here what Jesus was talking about. Jesus was actually, he was actually prophesying his death on the cross. But that death on the cross would be to our life, our eternal life. He goes on in verse 16, the familiar verse, one of the most familiar in the entire Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Verse 17. Remember, Jesus came as our Savior. Matthew 1 and verse 21. In fact, the name Jesus actually means literally Savior. And so, when it says whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, you have to understand that, again, inherent within the understanding, the meaning of believing in him in that text is obedience. You don't just believe intellectually and then go on sinning. No, you got to repent. you got to confess your faith openly in Christ and surrender to him in baptism because, again, That is what we read in the New Testament scriptures as the point at which our sins are forgiven, Acts 2 and verse 38, Acts 22 and verse 16, that we come into Jesus, Romans 6 and verse 3, Galatians 3 and verse 27, and that we are saved, Mark 16, 15 and 16, 1 Peter 3 and verse 21. The text goes on, verse 18. Jesus continues, and he says, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus is our Savior, our only Savior. 
Peter said in Acts 4 and verse 12, nor is there any other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Well, we come back to verse 19 in John chapter 3. Jesus goes on and he says, and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Most people have rejected Jesus. Most people have not come to Jesus as their Savior. Most of the Jewish people to whom Jesus specifically came rejected him. And look around us today. How many people, they never, virtually never, darken the doors of any church building and they don't live a Christian life of faithfulness and dedication and obedience because they like the ways of the world better than contemplating giving up those sinful practices and living a life of faithful dedication to Jesus Christ as a Christian. Verse 20, Jesus goes on and says, For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. A lot of people don't like the truth about how they're living because the truth exposes them as living in the darkness of sin and evil. Verse 21, but he who does the truth comes to the light, comes to Jesus, comes to the truth of God's word, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Well, remember Jesus said that as his followers, as true Christians, we're supposed to be the light of the world, and we're supposed to let our light so shine to God's glory, Matthew 5 and verse 16, verses 14 through 16. Verse 22, after these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. You see again why If baptism is not necessary, if it's inconsequential, was Jesus going around baptizing all during his public ministry? Now, John also was baptizing in Ainan near Salim because there was much water there. Again, we're not talking about any kind of baptism other than baptism in water. Remember what he told Nicodemus, except a man be born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. For, and, and, they, and they came and were baptized, verse 23. For John had not, yet been, had not yet been thrown into prison. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and and, and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, This joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. John is again, again 
confessing Jesus as the prophesied Savior come to earth. He's not, I'm not the one, he says. I came to prepare the way for the one. He must increase, I must decrease. <clears throat> so John is saying, I'm taking second, second step here. I'm ste- a second place. I'm ste- stepping back. Jesus is stepping forward. First place. Verse 31, John goes on and he says, he who comes from above is above all. And he who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And John is, again, making further contrast between him and Jesus during both of their ministries. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. Now, that's what basically what Jesus just said to Nicodemus. You know, uh, people, you know, the light has come to the world and people love darkness more than the light, so they reject me. John's saying essentially the same thing here about how people respond to Jesus. In verse 33, he who has received his testimony and has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. John is now saying unequivocally, without any question or confusion in his words, Jesus is here sent by God on this mission of teaching the gospel. And then we conclude chapter 3 with verse 36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Now, you see the coupling of true belief and then the obedience that that true belief leads a person to as together being the definition of saving faith in Jesus Christ. Our time is up. We're going to stop and pray. We'll pick up with chapter 4 next time. Father, thank you for your word, your glorious word that enlightens us so much as to why you sent Jesus into this world and what he means to us, our Savior. Praise, glory, honor, and thanks be to you, Father. And please help people everywhere to embrace Jesus as their Savior. Please forgive us and hear a prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.